Hallelujah. We're home right now. Hallelujah. And there is the presence of the Lord here. And God is going to touch people and help us. He's going to touch our hearts and our minds and stir and unlock oppressed, inactive, discouraged and disappointed faith. Faith. So let's turn our Bibles today to where do I want to go? I got too many now. All right. Let's go to Isaiah 38.1. Isaiah 38.1. We'll talk about one of the old geezers in the Bible. Name uh, some of you younger people don't even know what a geezer is. It's not a gizzard, it's a geezer. So don't go in and, can I have a dozen geezers? The old guys will come out with cups of coffee, get in your car, you have to take them home. Uh, now we're going to talk about prayer today. First, let me reiterate what prayer is, because so many times we think it's just asking. But if we make a statement, it is the same as asking. Why? Because God watches over his word to perform it. And so prayer means to ask, to inquire. It means to intercede or stand in the gap, get involved in somebody else's problems, weaknesses, shortnesses. It means to praise. It means to give thanks. It means to confess. It means to make a confession. You know, if you confess your sins, then you are praying, right? Okay. It means to act in holy meditation. It means just to ponder the scriptures, and that is prayer. It's a form of fellowship with God. God will speak to you through that time of meditation and thinking. It means to wait on the Lord. It means to petition, and it means to declare. So we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to wrap up today on prayer. Remember what prayer is. Basically, prayer is God's invitation to you and I to invite him into our problems, into our problems. And so as we start looking at these things, we're going to look at Isaiah 38, 1 down through 8. And it says, and in those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son, son of Amos, came unto him, and he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall, and he prayed to the Lord, and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I walk before thee in truth, with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight, and Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord, a response to a request to Isaiah, saying, Go to Isaiah, yeah, and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord. Probably Hezekiah thought, Oh my word, there's a second chapter to this. And 
said, The God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hands of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will be, bring again the shadow of the de degrees of that which is gone down in the sundial of Ahaz ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees by which degree it was gone down. Now, Hezekiah is in a pretty hopeless place. Have you ever been so sick you just felt like, man, I'm dying? Well, then a prophet of God comes in and says, hey, God agrees, you're going to die. Well, that's good news. It is so much for taking medication, there's no sense in taking it anymore. And so here Hezekiah is faced with hopelessness. And sometimes hopelessness causes people to become silent when it should not. Now, Hezekiah is sick at the same time that Isaiah 36 and 37 is taking place. It's when King Sennacherib, he is the king of the Assyrians, and he has come up to destroy or to take the city away from Hezekiah. And he tells all the people of Israel by decree, by guys that will ride around the wall shouting out, don't believe Hezekiah. None of the other gods delivered them, and I've taken all of the cities and nations, and I'm here at your door. And your God is no different. He cannot prevail against the Assyrians. Well, now, you've got to realize that this is coming in Hezekiah's ears. So Hezekiah has a history. Well, he's taken this city, taken that city. He's invaded that country, he's invaded that country. And now I'm hearing God, I don't know what to do. Because God, we certainly are no match for the Assyrian army. Well, this same time is when Hezekiah is sick. And in this prophecy of Hezekiah from Isaiah that says, I'm going to give you 15 more years, God also says, and I'm going to deliver the city from Sennacherib and from the Assyrians. So God's going to do two things for Hezekiah because in two hopeless situations, Hezekiah turns to God. And sometimes when we get in hopeless situations, we close our mouths. We shut up like mussels and like clams. We just shut down. Nothing can get in and nothing can get out. And we live in these hopeless situations with intimidations, fears, anxieties, worries, and, and we live there. Certainly, Hezekiah's hopeless situation affected his wife, his sons, and in daughters, probably not his son-in-laws, but his sons and daughters. And uh, so Hezekiah was in a hopeless situation. The cause of this 
sickness was a big boil. I don't know if you ever had a boil, but they're painful, very painful. I had one one time in my earlier days, and my friend came home and said, hey, let's go fishing. I said, I can't. I can't sit down. got a boil. He said, well, man, I thought we were going fishing. I said, we are. I just pulled my britches down, bent over the bed. I said, cut that thing so we can go. What did he do? He cut that thing so we could go. Any regrets that he ever came over that day? Now, when if I'm ever washed up in shore from a shipwreck, Phil will just say, turn him over. He's got a tattoo. And so this boil, this ulcer, is killing him, taking his life. And I would encourage you before something gets so big as a boil that you can't control that you begin to deal with it by prayer. Amen? And so the cause of the boil is pride. Is pride. In 2 Chronicles, the 32nd chapter, verse 24 through 26, it says, and Hezekiah was lifted up because everything was going right. It amazed me that not all Christians, but the majority of Christians seem to get saved in dire straits. You know, and so we turn to the Lord, and man, we become these dogmatic, consistent, diligent prayer warriors as if we've been talking to God for a million years when really we just met him the other day, which God doesn't have a problem, neither do I. But Hezekiah was like most of us. He just got blessed. He began to prosper, and the more he prospered, the more he got uh, blessed, the less he needed God. That's what he thought. But listen, blessing and, and increase are great, great things to have because we can do lots of things for the kingdom. Deuteronomy 8.18, we can begin to establish the kingdom of God. But money without God as its governor is nothing but a trap to pierce yourself through with sorrows. There really is no safety in wealth unless God is in charge of your heart. Amen. People say, well, you preach prosperity. I believe in blessing, and, and I don't know how much Bible you've got to tear out to take away the blessing, but Jesus said the blessing of Abraham is going to come upon us. And all spiritual blessings are headed my way too. Now, the blessings of God by the son of wisdom in Proverbs 10.22 says that they tend to wealth. I can't help what God said. Well, well, you're seeking blessing. No, I'm seeking God, but I will, as I navigate my journey, end up running into blessed situations. Amen? Yesterday I was at a, a golf thing with Lincoln, and he was playing, and so I got so cold, and he got so hot, I took his hood and I put it on me. I didn't look like Lincoln, but I smelled like him. I, did, I smelled like Lincoln. 
And I thought, well, man, oh, man, who wants to do that? And then I walked by a young girl, and she went, and then she seen my face, she said, Ew. But the aroma was drawing the prey in. And I don't know what that was, but I want two bottles of it for my birthday. <laughs> I'm kidding you. Anyway, sometimes we forget that we need God. And listen, even money cannot be ruled by a man without God's help. Oh, say, well, I'm doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good, but God's side of your life is suffering greatly. Amen. I would rather have everybody go to heaven in a three-wheeled Vega as I would everybody go to hell in a 500SL Mercedes. You can call me trailer trash, you can call me anything. Just let me in when I get there. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And if money is my flaw, my weakness, my door, my crack, that the devil's going to come in and get me to set aside my dependency upon God, then I don't want it. But if it will help me achieve God's mission and God can temper me, mature me, help me every day as I depend on him, then bring it on because I'll use it the way he directs me to. If he keeps my heart, he's got everything else. It's when I let prayer leave my life that I will replace him with things. Amen. So it is this pride that lifts Hezekiah up. And pride simply is an attitude that you are your own source and God is not needed in your life. Listen, even ants are aware of their need of God. And they prosper. And if God wants a bug to prosper, I think he wants me to prosper too. Now the cure for hopelessness is to turn to the Lord and make him your source. Make him your source. Your source of wisdom, understanding, instruction, movement, activity, response, whatever it might be, make God your source. Because all that God is and all that God has, he is willing to deposit in the man that asks him. Remember Solomon, David's son? God, give me wisdom that I can rule these people. And God said, well, since you've done that, I'm going to bless you. But what if we begin to ask God, God, help me understand my wife. They are from another world. They are from the dark side because the Bible says, the Bible says, now I'm not adding to the, the Bible says that when I was formed in darkness, 
said all the women, that thou knewest me. And the man was running from me, but thou was taketh him captive. No, that's add to. But didn't God say you were created in dark places? So women come from the dark side. Now, I don't understand women. I'm, I'm just telling you, I just don't. You know, I'm telling you, my wife told me, don't buy me flowers. If I can't wear it, don't bring it home. Now, did you, Nephil? Yeah, but not like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But, but not like that. Did you mean it like that? instead of flowers. So, somebody buys her some flowers. Some, some lady, I don't know, who was that? Somebody bought you flowers. They send them to the house. Phil says, oh, honey, these are so beautiful. You never get me flowers. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't like flowers. Well, I didn't say I didn't like them. I said, you told me I would rather have so I do your wishes. This woman rebels and she's all lifted up and she's all that. You can't understand them, I'm just telling you. What is menopause? Pause. A collision of two identities and you got to suffer it. Yeah. <laughs> So look, you've got to make God your source. Just depend on God. When you're dealing with situations, let's start involving God to give us what we don't have about the situation. Well, I don't understand my teenagers. God does. God does. And that's another side of the dark side. But... God does. He knows your teenager. Why are you trying to raise him on your own when all you do at the end of the day is end up frustrated and you and your husband going to bed fighting? And your kid's in there at peace playing a video game. No. Make God your source. Well, I don't understand my boss. I don't understand my employees. Pray. Pray. You don't know where they've been, what they've been through. You don't know who they're married to. You don't know. My boss used to say, there's something strange about you, Pete. They met my wife. They said, Pete, we have mercy on you. <laughs> and now, <clears throat> Hezekiah really did something with God. Not only does he turn to make him his source, he says this, God, remember my resume. God, remember what I did for you. You say, oh, what, what, what? he's like bartering with God? Well, you could call it whatever you want, but what he's doing is pulling back up all of the good things he did. And you know what? Nobody does any good thing in the name of the Lord that he is not rewarded for. And so if you can't do anything but say, God, Remember when I cut my neighbor's grass. God, remember when I took out the trash. Just remind God of what you've done. 
and say, God, I'm at your mercy. What I need and what I've done will never balance out. But God, this is what I've done. And I really need you to turn my situation around. Not that you have to barter with God because God wants to help you anyway. But what Hezekiah did was he put God into remembrance. And then he says, remember that which I did for you that was good. That was good. So here he begins to make God his source. He reminds God what he's done. And then he reminds him all of the good that he's done in his name. And God responds it and he sees the true heart of Hezekiah, a heart that in this hopeless situation has returned to its source, and Hezekiah weeps before the Lord with tears of desperation. He is at the end of himself, but he's not at the end of God. And so Hezekiah, in his turning and making God his source, reinstituting prayer in his life, does what? He saves a nation and extends his life. There were two signs given to Hezekiah. One was that the sun reversed 10 degrees. Reverse 10 degrees. Now, at that time, Hezekiah should have said, do you think God would go for 20? But he didn't, so he got 15. And then turns it around and the city is saved. The two signs that God gave Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah was instrumental. And I believe that nothing is overtaking God by surprise. He knows the beginning to the end. He knows everything that you were going to face. He knows everything that the devil was going to do. And if God had not equipped and qualified you to overcome, then he would have destined you to defeat. I do not believe that God destined you to defeat. I do not believe that he destined your children not to be their 100% fullest potential under your guidance. I, I just don't believe that. I do. I just believe that when God chose David, that God equipped David's mother and father to have enough faith to raise David, provide for David, do for David, educate David, get David ready, and then pass him off to Sharon. I believe that. I don't, do not believe that any child is ever born with an unqualified parent or set of parents. I do not believe that. Because the de God knows what the devil's going to do, and if he doesn't equip you, who is going to protect your children? Remember, God has loaned them to you as arrows in a warrior's hands. 
But God did not give them to you without fine print. They will only make and hit their target with me involved. It, they won't do it. And so people have prayed and changed nations and changed the world. You remember that uh, in Exodus 32 where Israel's complaining and murmuring, they're yelling, kicking the sand and all that. And God says, you know what, get out of the way. I think I'll just uh, erase these guys and raise somebody up out of you, Moses. Moses says, oh, Lord, no, I, I ain't got it in me, God. I'm too old to have that many kids. And so Moses, even though God is prepared to respond in wrath, in other words, give them their just due for their disobedience and unbelief, Moses begins to pray. And he turns judgment into mercy. You know God wants to turn judgment into mercy on the behalf of our children, our spouses. He wants to turn that around. Even our enemies, the Bible says, Matthew 5, 44, pray for those that despitefully use you. Don't put them on the bottom of the list. Move them up the list because they need a protective covering over them even though they are incorporating and birthing evil about you and about God. God wants you to begin to pray to cover them with mercy. I don't know how, what kind of sinner you was. I wasn't a nice one. I would break into churches. I would tear their furniture up. I would steal their vacation Bible school stuff. I would defecate in their aisles. You say, my word, you are a dog. Yes, I was. Much like you. Then I would wear their Sunday school badges on my colors to let them know that I was the guy that did it. Now, I did those types of things. I mocked preachers. People that tell me they're praying for me, I would tell them, you go ahead and pray for me. If I hear you praying for me, I'll knock your brains out on this concrete. I wasn't a good guy. I would get up and mock preachers and make fun of them. And all the people in the place that I worked would, yeah, man, yeah. The dumb leading the dumb. But somebody prayed for me. And I think it was Rodney Turner. Now, the next statement you can't hold against him, he was a Baptist. Rodney and I have been in association for over 40 years. 
Rodney prayed for me. He prayed for me. Never let me hear him, but he prayed for me. And I believe that he extended to me mercy for judgment. Much like Moses did for Miriam. Moses had a lot of problem people in his life. You might be a Moses undercover. But Moses prayed for his sister because she came against him. And he said, God, don't do this to her. God said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to spare her life, but I'm going to let her have leprosy for seven days. Even that is a small portion of what she really deserves coming against you, my servant. That ought to warn all of us that we don't want to jump on the bandwagon of criticizing people. Let's get on the bandwagon of the mercy ride. Amen? That we pray and we realize that they are just like we used to be. And some days, on bad days, we still are. Yeah, when I get up and I, I have, you know, and I'm just like, you know, the best place for me to be is on the couch watching westerns. That way I don't have to spend most of the night praying. Nobody's been offended. I haven't cursed nobody. I don't mean cussing in, but, you know, saying, oh, well, God, may their car have four flat tires that they may find you in the midst of their misery. No, I, look, we all have bad days. And so Moses prayed for Miriam, and the Lord granted her mercy for judgment. We always want to believe the best. Could I get an amen? The Bible says that love believeth the best. The problem with us walking in love is that we are so influenced by the world and their ways that sometimes we never consider the ways of God. Well, you know it's true. I, I just tell them the truth. Well, love never tells the truth. Love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't share the weaknesses of a brother. That's why so much help is shut off in the body of Christ because we are to confess our faults one to another. But realistically... We can't trust anybody within a pew's length from us because they've shared with us and we've shared with them pure trash. And so it erodes our confidence in others and it really just destroys their confidence in us. How could they come to us when we've already showed them what we're going to do with what they give us? So where is the help? Where is the rescue? Where is the refuge that we can get in and get under? Where are the people that change judgment to mercy? It's you and I. That's who we are. We are the changers of judgment to mercy. 
We are called the priests of God. A priest did not have the rights to like or dislike anybody. His job was to bear the sins of people and go to a mercy seat and come out with safety for them. So we are the people that God needs to turn judgment into mercy. Let's go to Psalms 51 and verse 6. Psalms 51 verse 6. And all I'm trying to do is get you passionate about prayer again. There are so many people. I think of, a, of a, this. Uh, any of you ever seen a steel? You don't even know what I'm talking about. Do You do. It was where robots, instead of men, started getting in the ring and they worked them by, you know, boobops and doodops. Well, <clears throat> this one guy is just a loser, doesn't have enough brains to drive the truck, it, and his son has been alienated from him. He gets him by an act of uh, death. His wife uh, dies, and uh, so he comes back. And, but the little boy wants a robot. Well, he ain't got no robot. He takes the money that he took to sell the kid to buy the robot. Just he don't have enough brains to work the robot. And so the little kid finds this robot. It is so detached, so outdated, so useless that nobody wants it. But this little boy takes this thing, and he begins to spit on a rag and polish it. He begins to just work it until it starts looking pretty good. So the father wants the robot to be proven that he's a piece of junk and just to be discarded. The little boy just won't give up. Pretty soon this robot, because of the little boy's involvement in it, begins to learn some things that robots usually don't know. He just learns to fight. Pretty soon he becomes champion and then champion and champion. He just wins, wins, wins. And if you've seen the movie and you haven't, rent it. What's it called? Well, there you go, real steel. And, uh, but you know, God's like that with us. He's looking for somebody that's going to get on the cliff and he's going to reach way down here for something that is discarded, unrecognizable, don't even know what it is or what you're going to do with it when you get your hands on it. And he lays hold of it. And of course, it's a little more dramatic than that in the movie. That little boy begins to give this robot life. All the robot really needed was a charge. All he needed was a touch from somebody. He just needed someone to take his plug and plug it in. He'd just been discarded, used, beat up, 
seeing there's no value, he just cast away. Then that little boy picked him up. And I think God wants us to be the real Christian. That we are not afraid of heights, that we are not afraid of extending ourselves. And if God's hand is not short that it can save, why would his people have short arms? And I think God wants to make real Christians out of us. That he wants people that are going to stand between a lost world and heaven and say, God, remember what I've done. Remember the work that I've done. Remember, God, who I was. You took me. Now, God, I'm asking you to take others. Amen. Reach down, God, touch them, convict them, turn their judgment of eternal life without you into a place that mercy can bring them to know you. Look, I'm just... My sinful life, there's no reason God should have ever forgiven me. There's no reason God should have ever forgiven any of you either. But he did. And some way in all of that, God, somebody, somebody, I don't know who, but somebody made me just one day awake and I was at a, Phyllis and I were living with another couple because of our, we was getting into our house or something. We were living with this other couple, and they were friends of ours. We were just living with them two or three weeks. And uh, they were friends when we left. They were just a whole lot friendlier when we got out. And, uh, but I was in the foundry working, and I bent over to light this furnace. And I was smoking a cigarette, and I heard these words, Finish that cigarette, it's going to be your last one. I said, what? What in the world? Man, I need to quit drinking so much. I need, need, to, I need some sleep. Well, I went home that day. You remember this, Phyllis? I came home at lunch. Phyllis says, hurry up, hurry up. I came home at lunch and I said, honey, I need to go see Leonard's mother. She said, well, honey, I don't know where the woman lives. I said, well, I'm telling you, I got to go see this woman. I didn't know why, but number one, I'm starting to hear voices. And I hadn't even heard Phyllis had been married two or three years. And I'm thinking, this is weird. And so we finally find out where this woman lives. And so I go there and I knock on the door. This old woman in this long dress, pulled back gray hair, she opens the door and there are three women in there. And one empty chair sitting right in the middle of them. The other two are on their knees. And she said, we've been waiting for you all morning. Get right there at that chair and you kneel down and you ask Jesus into your heart. Are you 
Well, I've been married three years. I knew, like, this is a death threat. And so I went over, and I gave my life to Jesus at that chair that day. Three women praying, waiting for somebody they don't even know, but they're turning God's judgment to a mercy seat. In an old house in Quincy, Ohio, floors down, who would live there? Three women of prayer. The mercy seat had been prepared. Will you be a mercy seat person? Will you be someone that reaches out and finds that thing discarded, thrown over, no value? Who wants? It's yesterday's. Will you take it? Will you just rekindle? Will you plug it back in? Will you help it? Will you invest in a life? Psalms 51, 6, it says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Watch these words. God, purge me. Purge me. Well, can't you do it yourself? Purge me, God, with high sop, and I shall be clean. God, if you wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and the gladness. Make me, God, that the bones which thou hast broken because of my rebelliousness, God, that they may end up rejoicing. Hide thy face from my sin and blot out all of mine iniquities. Create in me, God. Create in me a clean heart. O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me, God. Restore in me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, God, when I'm whole, when I'm whole, I will teach transgressors the way and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltlessness, O God. Thou, O God of my salvation, my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my, my lips, and my mouth shall show forth the praises. For thou desirest not sacrifices, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings, God. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, that wilt thou not despise. And we might say, but pastor, I don't need that. I, I totally, I agree. Most of us probably don't need that. 
but could we love our neighbor as ourselves and see him or her in the same broken place that David was? Remember, no joy, no rejoicing, no song, no praise, no heart. God, somebody plug me in. Reach down and touch. God, help me. Now, you may not hear that cry. But if you think that brokenness, if you think that disappointment, Sadness, discouragement, hopelessness is not crying out in every backslider, every lukewarm person, every discouraged, broken, disjointed individual. If you think that even sinners that have tasted the Lord when they were young when they saw grandma praying, when they saw grandpa, when they remember the stories of Christmas or Easter, if you think that they are not crying out, God, help me. Where do I go? How do I do it, God? What do I do? Are you that little boy? Are you that true Christian? Let's be people of prayer. You say, well, I've tried witnessing, I've tried this and I've tried that. So said the same people that dealt with you. They all said the same thing. Hopeless case, to hell with him. She'll never listen. Look, people gave up on you long before you got a touch of mercy. <laughs> Could I get an amen? amen. Yeah, absolutely. But some place, David, I remember you're in jail, you get saved, you're divorced, your yes, wife's sir. throwing you over, you're done. Yes, sir. I remember marrying you yeah. in a backyard in this city. Yeah. And she reached down and she said, I'll take him. Everybody else says it's not going to work. Everybody else says it's over for him. Everybody else says he's not going to change. He's not going to do this. I'm going to take him. It's true. And she took him. Yep. She ain't done much with him, but she took him. <laughs> no. Some of us are sitting beside the greatest real Christian in our life, our spouses. I want to encourage you today, prayer. All you have to do is pray. Just please, it's free. It's effective. All you got to do is just pray. Just pray. You don't have to produce results. God's just saying, is there a voice against judgment? He's saying, hopelessness, call out, I'll come. 
Have they written you off, given you a death sentence? Not too late for God. Are the enemy decreeing your end and telling you how many times everybody that believed in God has failed? It's time to pray. It's time to pray. It's one thing if the world takes things that are tangible, but things that are eternal should be more protected than things that are tangible and temporary. David said, God, don't take away your spirit from me. Why? It's only by him am I stirred to prayer. It's only by him, God, am I stirred to worship. It is only by him, God, that I awaken every morning. It is only by him, God, that I have joy. We all need to reiterate prayer. It's so simple powerful, effective. God never says no whatsoever you ask in my name, he will give you. It's real easy. What are we asking for? Are we watching? I walk through airports and I look at people and I think, doomed people going nowhere and not even knowing. We pass them by the millions every day at our workplaces, shopping, stores, Macy's, Chinese restaurants, wherever it might be. Let's pray. Pray. Doesn't even take you stopping the car. Just takes that when you think of that person, think of that, see that person in the yard, See that person at the gas station. You don't need to know their name. Hezekiah didn't know everybody in the kingdom. So let's start praying today. Let's just give the devil migraine headaches until the day we leave. Amen. Amen. Let's just give him... Let's give him a... What's a mydol? What's a mydol? What's a, what's a mydol? Is that a pill? Okay. That's a girl. Let's give him pains where he shouldn't have pains. Hallelujah. I can't help it. I don't know. I'm not a woman. Now, I'm telling you, you can't believe the lives that are going to be changed. And you pray, come on, let's 